another tiring epi- uh, week week for well, for the both of us this week as we uh, as we got ourselves embroiled in in a um, in a very very sort of difficult case where we were trying to solve the problem of five star reviews, but um, every time we looked for them, we came across horrible murders. <sighs> yeah, so it, it turns out that the the five star reviews uh, have been missing. And mm. We are we are on a hunt for them. Uh, we'd like to appeal to you know the, the listenership at large for any information that could be provided. Right. Uh, they were last spotted in the Creative Psychopaths Facebook group, uh, also on the Creative Psychopaths Instagram page. So I would I would recommend starting there as part of the search. Uh, yeah. Any any leads or, or if the five star reviews can be found and left in your your podcast catcher of choice. You know, it really would bring a lot of closure to this case. Yep, there you go, everyone. That's how you do it. Well done. Right, it's seven this week. Let's get on with it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Creative Psychopaths, a horror movie podcast and the world's premier kitchen for horror sandwiches. What are horror sam- sandwiches? I hear you shout. I mean, you don't say it like that. You just say, what are horror sandwiches without fumbling your words? <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you what they are. It's a lovely movie filling surrounded by two slices of wonderful, wonderful chatty goodness. Uh, I'm Mark, and as always, I'm joined by Matthew. Hello. Hello, how are you this week? I'm I'm very chipper. That's nice. To Running hear. in complete contrary to the film that we've just watched, which is terribly miserable. <laughs> terribly miserable. Terribly miserable. And that third voice you can hear is uh, we're joined by one of the rolling co-hosts of um, the Movie Jewel podcast. So they're getting a lot out of us this month. Um, Vanessa, hello. Hi. Hi. How are you this fine day? Well, it's pretty grey and miserable here. I don't know. I, I don't know where where you guys are based, but in Scotland, we've had the worst like five or six weeks of weather that I can ever remember in the in the summer. So, yeah, not that chipper, just on account of the crap weather. But apart from that, well, that's pretty good. Well, as, uh, as it happens, I was recording last week's episode uh, on holiday in Scotland. Oh, what about? And- it was in Ballantrae, uh, sort of between Air and Stranra. Mm, mm. Uh, so it was on the coast, and we had one really nice day. It was lovely, and uh, me and the other half went to, uh, well, we found that sort of a nature reserve area, went for a, a nice walk in nature. I uh, got about halfway across the river, and the heavens opened, and we realised that we hadn't taken rain jackets with us. Oh, no. <laughs> Sort of feel like going to Scotland without a rain jacket is on you. Well, we uh, did. We we took them with us. Oh, you just um, didn't. <laughs> we, we just just not that one day. Yeah, the sun is shining. There's not a cloud in the sky. We 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 can't be caught out with this. That's I also got bitten to buggery just by 
some kind of insects. I don't think they were mosquitoes because they didn't come out like the, the way that I normally get mosquito bites. Uh, but yeah, they, something got me good and proper. Medjies. Maybe. Maybe I, yeah. I don't know. I don't normally get bit by midges, so I'd be surprised. Oh, right. hmm. But this, yeah, this isn't Matthew's health clinic. It's uh... <laughs> maybe it's some kind of super midgie, some sort of new new type that's uh, you know going to take over the world, and before you know it, will be I don't know. Some kind of midge-demic. Midge-demic. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I got bitten by something, and, and the bite came out exactly like uh, a Lyme disease bite comes. Oh, right. So I thought, oh, you know, I, I'm, you know I'm feeling okay. There's no problems, no, no concerns, but this, this, this bite came out very much like it. And I realised later that I really should have taken a picture of it so that I could have just blagged a few days off work when I needed to. <laughs> Can you blag a few days off work with Lyme disease? Is that does that work? Uh, not, well, is it not slightly uh, longer lasting than a couple of days off? It, it depends how severe you get it. I'm led to believe. I suppose uh, you could claim that you thought it was Lyme disease, but actually, you were just a bit tired. Maybe, uh, yeah. yeah. But I think uh, the, the, from what I was reading when I was googling my symptoms and, and you know finding out that I have like super mega illness. Uh, no, apparently Lyme disease is like a uh, course of antibiotics if it's quite mild. So I think you'd be through the worst of it in uh, in a few days, generally. All right, excellent. Which well, there you go perfect. then. I could have just, you know, had a few days off, but like an idiot, I, I didn't photograph it. <laughs> it did end up being becoming Matthew's health corner. Um, <laughs> Which was good because I didn't really have anything to say this week. So you've 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 done you've done a good job there of filling the 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 bit that we're supposed to do before we start. Talking yeah, and, about, and I, I promise I'm I'm not a hypochondriac. No, it's okay if you are. I don't mind. Um, you could be one of those guys who had the old there's the old gravestone that says "I told you I was ill." That'd be a good one. <laughs> yeah, although not that I wish for you to have a gravestone anytime soon. A uh, hundred years old, I'll let you have. I'm not in charge of these things. Unless we could make it, you know, carry Evil Dead, you know, if I could stick my hand out and scare some folk. Oh, you want to rise from the grave, like... Yeah, that, you know, I think that's in keeping with what we do here. Hmm, yeah, okay. Like Altered Beast, he rose from the grave. Yeah, Um, I'm not willing to put in any sort of effort to try and make it a reality, because (laughs) I don't think it's worth the risk, but... No, we'll hire some sort of um, what is it? What do they call him? A necromancer to get you going. Anyway, um, we're 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 whiffling on now. Um, so let's let's get into it. Let's yeah. Well, do whatever we, we have a new do. guest, don't we? A first timer. Yeah. Uh, which makes our jobs easier because it means we can just go and ask them all our, our lovely questions that we, <laughs> we like to uh, to bring on. So we'll start right from the beginning with you, then, Vanessa. What's the, uh, well, when did you become a horror fan? Uh, I was having a think about this, and I think it was when I was quite young. I, I got into Stephen King books when I was, like, I, I don't know, probably when I was still in kind of primary school, like towards the end of primary school. And things like Eerie Indiana, and um, I don't know if you remember the Australian show Round the Twist that used to be on, um, that was, Absolutely. I don't know if it was quite horror, but. 
There was some messed up stuff in it, weren't there? Yeah, yeah. So I remember watching stuff like that. I also remember reading the point horror books, um, which were quite creepy as well, actually. And that must have been around about when I was kind of like 12, 13. And all of my friends were obsessed with like ghosts and aliens and just anything creepy or unexplained I started watching the x-files probably about the same time so it was all that kind of like mid-90s horror um that was the kind of kind of like gateway drug I suppose if you like <laughs> yeah I now that you mention it it's something that I've never really sort of put two and two together on that we, we talk of horror boom periods don't we and, you know the 80s slasher boom is one that we we cover more than most but the 90s did have this oh sort of strange horror sort of bubbling under the surface didn't it you know it slipped in places where you, you didn't expect it like kids tv shows and mm. uh you know uh, TV, TV in general, there were quite a few uh, that, you, that you mentioned there that were that were really good, and I think you, you do realise. Well, I've you know, I've just realised now when it's been brought out that you, you kind of have this feeling that it's always been with you, and you can mm -hmm. rattle off these things, and you just never really noticed it while it was there. Yeah, definitely. Um... Like I said, I don't know if it was part of that at the time, and I don't know if this was because of things like the X-Files and stuff, but like a lot of people that I was friends with were interested in all this stuff too. So you kind of feed off each other. And it was the time of like urban legends. So obviously it was way before like smartphones, probably um, before the internet actually as well, the mid-90s, wasn't it really? Or before most people had access to the internet. So we would, <clears throat> pardon me, we would like get together at sleepovers and stuff and sit and tell each other ghost stories and you know these urban legends where it would be like oh a friend of a friend or an uncle of a friend you know these stories that were obviously nonsense but everybody believed and because we didn't have any way to verify any of that because you didn't have the internet and stuff you just kind of took it that a lot of that was true mm. yeah it's uh the, the Blair Witch phenomenon isn't it that was mm. that was exactly what that was trading on yeah definitely yeah, yeah, you're right. Of there course, was a lot uh, of, um, there was a lot of ghost stuff knocking around, and I remember in the '90s sitting around telling, and, and, and it must float through every generation. But um, you do you sit around telling these stories that um, you know you've heard, and I remember, I remember there was one about an evil teddy bear or something like that. That that was real. It was a real good one. Um, we might have to do a slice of bread on that one day, Matthew. Um, yeah, I'm thinking. <laughs> Uh, when I, when I was in the nine, 90s, it was always sh uh, sharing Goosebumps books around as well and, oh, and watching yeah. the series and yeah. Are You Afraid of the Dark? But I, I have just remembered now, I can't remember like where it's just come to me from, but uh, just after that, there was Darren Shan books as well. Now, he was uh, sort of just... Maybe sort of very early two thousand, I'd probably say. And I remember he had the the series of vampire books that sort of took it sort of one level further from from Goosebumps. 
So I'd like mm. perfect age for it. Yeah. Good stuff. And I tried to make a film of it and it was terrible. Oh. Well, ain't that always the case? Well, not always, but often the case. Well, I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll ask then about a film that hopefully wasn't crap. And uh, But what is your scariest horror movie, Vanessa? So I think this answer would depend on, like, at the time, the scariest thing I'd ever seen was The Shining. I watched The Shining when I must have been about... 14-ish, 15, um, I'd been staying over at a friend's house and we weren't supposed to watch it, but like our mum and dad had gone out and I'd stayed the night before, but we decided it'd be too scary to watch at night. So we decided to watch it during the day thinking like it'll be, you know, I don't know if there's anything that I'm ever really scared of. I prefer watching it during the day to at night time. And we watched about half of it and I remember we had to pause it for like five, ten minutes because we were both absolutely terrified and I don't know what happened, but at one point in the film, the, the door in her living room, like, moved, and we were both, like, so terrified. So, like, that was the first movie I saw that absolutely kind of scared me shitless. Like, I, I don't even think I probably slept for, like, a couple of nights after that. But, like, now I've seen The Shining so many times, it's almost a bit like a kind of comfort thing now. Um. And I suppose I was thinking about like what what scared me recently and host, you know, the pandemic horror, um, Zoom horror thing. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. that, that really scared me. I've watched that twice. Um, and the other thing that scared me kind of in the last year or two was Sinister, which I'd never seen. And I caught it. I think it must have been Halloween either Halloween, last, like October last year or the year before, I was trying to watch like loads of horror movies in October and um, I watched that and I was in the house alone and it was night time and I was so scared that I didn't even like want to go to the loo. I didn't want to leave the room. I was, and <laughs> that's not happened like for a while because you, you'll know yourselves when you watch a lot of horror movies, you get a wee bit desensitised to it. Mm. Yeah, it really has to, it really has to pull you in. And I yeah. often I often find that it's situational, like what you just said. Um, you know, you sort of have to be on your own and in the dark, and you know, really get dragged into it. And that's when it that's when it grabs you. Because often you find if you watch with somebody else, you you maybe make a bit of fun of it, or you know, it 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 doesn't it doesn't have the same effect. It can be quite conditional. I think horror movies. But um, well, we we covered Sinister fairly recently, didn't we? Like when we did it, I was sort of in the final stages of moving house. Right. And <laughs> thankfully, we, we we got away with it. There there has been no new house shenanigans from demons yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I found that one. I found that one really creepy. Although I've heard, I've not seen the the sequel. I heard the sequel wasn't as good. Don't know if you've seen the sequel. Mm, we yeah. haven't. We we did mention at the time and I'm I still think it's probably the case that it, it it's a film that I struggle to understand how you can really get a sequel out of it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, because it's would feel like you know the the I mean spoilers if you've not seen Sinister, but you know obviously you've seen it and listened to our episode. So uh it feels like it's one that would you know the the cycle that it goes through would have to you know, continue, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Basically just lend you to the same film again 
And if you try to do anything else, there isn't really any danger to it because the peril relies on this, you know, this path and this uh, chain of horrors that that comes about from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. I can't. It's a, it's a kind of film that probably just just work best as like a standalone. Well, I was going to say. I was just going to go then for uh, asking for best sequel because I was sure that we had it on the list, but we don't. <laughs> I thought, oh, we've got a lovely segue then. No, right, we don't. I'll, I'll instead go for, well, instead go for the the question that we do have, which is a movie that needs a sequel and a movie that needs to stop making sequels. A movie that needs a Right. I think they need to stop making Halloween sequels because I feel like there's been quite a lot now and it's a really patchy franchise. So I think I've seen them all now apart from the second Rob Zombie one, although the first Rob Zombie one was pretty awful. And I don't think I've seen Resurrection, which is supposed to be terrible. But I just feel that with Halloween, they've kind of re... What's the word? Like re... um, Oh, re... Start like restarted. That's not the word I'm thinking of, but kind of like restarted the franchise a few times, and it's been so inconsistent. It's not like Friday the Thirteenth or something where the movies are all fairly good fun. It's just I don't know. I just feel like, especially with that most recent trilogy that David Gordon Green did, mm. um, I just feel like stop. It's enough. Like stop. Just draw a line under it and move on, which won't happen because in a few years' time. Somebody else will come along and want to make a new Halloween movie. But I just feel that it's just been, been done to death a little bit. And I just don't know what you could do with it that would make it kind of like fresh and interesting. If that makes yeah, sense. I mean, if there ever was a time to just draw a line under it, it's now, isn't it, after the ending to the last one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I think I... sound reasoning. Yeah, I think when we discussed it, we thought the only way to go forward would be to potentially embrace that original idea and make some Halloween movies that are not Michael Myers. And, mm. you know, like, it's not it's not like it would be out, you know, they had the season of the witch. So it wouldn't be like out of, um, I want to say out of kilter, but that doesn't feel right. Um, wouldn't be out, out of something. It wouldn't be out of something if they did that. Um, so... But but I agree with you. As far as Michael Myers is, it, it's it's done and it's done as a, a as a franchise. They don't need to, but they will. They will. They, they will. No, you're right. They will. I think the the season of the witch thing would be interesting because I really like season of the witch as a movie. Like it's bonkers, but it's good fun. And I know that that's what that's what John Carp- Carpenter wanted to do, wasn't it? Originally, they wanted mm. to like have these like anthology pictures which I think would have worked really well but um yeah I just I just don't know what you could do with Michael Myers now and yeah I think just but as you say in two or three years they will they will do something with it but I feel like that just needs to stop okay well do you have uh, a film that you want to see a sequel for I've got a film that I want to see a prequel for so I don't know if that's cheating a little bit we'll, we'll allow it yeah, that counts. We're gracious here. Um, did you see Barbarian? I did. We mm. were we were divided on this. Oh right, okay. I loved it. I thought it was like top five horror movies for me for last year, and I was. It, loved... it was my number one. 
as well. Oh, was it? Wow. Yeah. I think it might have been my number two, or maybe what was it? My number one. It was because I fresh was up there, and the, of course, last year was actually quite a good year for horror movies. I think like better it than was. this year. Um, and I didn't have a clue what it was about going into it, which I think is the best way to go into it. And I just was so impressed by where it went. And I thought a prequel showing you how you got from, I don't want to say too much for anybody listening that hasn't seen it, but how you got from the flashbacks that we got in Barbarian to like the present day, I think could be quite interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they, they tease that within the movie, don't they? Yeah. So giving us a, a bit more of it, I'd, I'd be keen. Yeah, I think that was the bit I found most interesting about it—the the sort of flashback bit. So um, I'd be right, quite, right. I'd be quite happy to see that. Yeah. yeah. And that guy is really creepy. I can't remember his name now. He's been in other things, but you yeah. know the guy—he's is it Frank? Is it Frank? He's called on it. The the actor has got like this brilliant creepy face, and I just think that he could ca- he could easily carry a whole movie just about. Being, like how you got to where the present day, I just think that would be really interesting. But I think pro, I don't know if it's more likely that you get a straight sequel. But I just thought a prequel might be quite quite good. No, um, yeah, I think we're well. I will definitely allow it just because I liked your idea. So yeah, prequels <laughs> are allowed in this question now. <laughs> Ultimately, we allow anything. I think as long as you're talking about horror movies, we're quite happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you're right. There, there have been times where we've had to come very loose on rules, haven't we? Yeah. Well, why not? Yeah, why not? But you're right. Last year was cracking for horror movies. We did. We did really well. Um, it was hard to choose. Um, this year, I don't think anything's come out that particularly has jumped up at me. Um, but anyway, yeah. that's for another day. Yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> save this conversation to December. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right, so the uh, the next one we've got then is what is your favourite franchise? Mm. Probably the Scream franchise. Um, Scream's probably my favourite horror movie. And when I was talking earlier about like mid nineties stuff, even though I think some aren't as good, like I don't think Three's as good, I still enjoy watching them all. And um, the only other one I thought that came close was maybe Final Destination, because, again, I think the consistency in Final Destination stays pretty high, maybe with, like, one exception, but Scream definitely would be my favourite franchise. Shout that. That's a good choice. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, we are Scream supporters here, aren't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I actually did say that when I first came on as well, but I, I think I've since backtracked and gone for Evil Dead. Oh, right. Okay. That's a good shout, actually, as well. <laughs> yeah. The, the new one this year was so good. Mm, loved it. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. We did get treated to that this year. Oh, yeah. That's and the good. new screen film, too. It was good as well. Yeah. I I don't think, I mean, like you said about the consistency of the screen, like, I don't, for my money, think they've ever produced a screen film that's been less than a three star film. Agreed. Yeah. You know, they've, They've all, at worst, been an enjoyable watch for me. Yeah, yeah. I've been seeing a lot of love for the third one recently, like where people have sort of, you know, taken a step back a bit and sort of taken it for what it is, which is a bit more of a sort of 
bit more Scooby Doo in it. It's it's <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit sillier, but I think if you're happy to sort of take it for what it is, it's it's all right. It's a the only thing I think probably really lets it down is it starts get it's a bit convoluted, isn't it? Mm. Um, I think overall, if you take it on board, it's just a silly film. I think it's pretty all right. Um, I think it was only this last one that I didn't really like. Yeah, I would say that the last one and, and three are the two ones that that were the weakest for me. But yeah, yeah. again, you know, I didn't I didn't hate any of it, and you know, I certainly didn't sort of want my my time or money back from uh, from watching them. No, no. And what you want from a good franchise is consistency across the board. You know, like you want it, you want it to follow um, what you what you want. You want it to be among the same themes, but manage to slightly up its game every time, which Scream manages just to do all the time. Um, you know, so it does such a good job as a franchise, and the fact that they managed to reboot it and reboot it well is um, is impressive. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, good stuff. That's a good choice, that one. Yeah, and you also had the the double benefit of of answering the next question, which was just going to be what's your favorite horror movie. So, and we, we've covered that as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could choose well, something so, else if you want. Just don't. yeah, or, or you can give us your number two if you prefer. Uh, number two, same director is probably Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, that was good. That's a good one too. We've all we've covered that one as well. Um, oh, September sleepover. That's coming we're, up again. We're very soon. close to it, aren't we? We are. We are. I've picked my PJs out already. <laughs> can't wait. Can't wait for the PJs and the exciting party games that we're going to play. Yeah. Anyway, well, on that note, shall we? Uh, shall we dive into our film of the week then? Oh, the lovely filling. Yes, let's have some of that. So we are, if you have been paying attention to the uh, the episode description, we are going to talk about Seven. Uh, I'm not going to do the C7 and thing because, well, for a start, it's a mouthful. And, and we did quite a lot of that with Mathregan, didn't we, earlier in the year? Yeah, so we did. We it's did. just Seven. <laughs> also, the cover of my DVD didn't have the Seven thing. It just had the word. So I'm, I'm using it. <laughs> <laughs> So the film is from 1995. I actually thought it was later than that. And yeah, the director is David Fincher and written by Andrew Kevin Walker. And for our cast, we have Morgan Freeman as Somerset, uh, Brad Pitt as Mills, Gwyneth Paltrow as Tracy, and then, well... Not uh, not in the opening credits and didn't do any press for it because he wanted to keep the twist a secret. Uh, Kevin Spacey as John Doe. So I think the the first thing, I, I know we said we'd stopped with the questions and we were going to talk about the film, but why, why did you choose this, Vanessa? Because it's not it's not your standard horror film, is it? No, I think there's quite a lot of discourse around whether or not Seven is a horror movie or whether it's a thriller. I think it's probably a bit of both. It was way before the whole torture porn stuff, like Saw and stuff, but I think there's like a lot of elements in that that make it a horror movie. And 
the first time I saw Seven, I definitely wasn't 18. And it was, a, again, it was a sleepover I, in my mum and dad's house. And my mum and dad were in bed. Me and all my friends were in the living room. It was late. It must have been after midnight. And we watched Seven. And I remember the sloth bit. And we all completely lost the plot at that bit. And I think that's why I consider it a horror movie, because I think it's genuinely like frightening, like really frightening. Mm. Um, even more so now that I'm older in um, watching it. And yeah, I just think I think it's a perfect movie. It's in my probably top ten horror movies. Um I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. There's like when I was watching it the other night in preparation for this, I was thinking like, is there anything that I would even change about it? And I don't think there's anything there's, you know, it's a perfect length. It's not like a lot of modern films that have an extra 20 or 30 minutes that you could get rid of. It's just tight, amazing performances. And like I said, I think it's genuinely quite frightening. So, yeah, I'm I'm going to, to agree with you, obviously, because that's, I mean, what you've said is all True. pretty much exactly what the film sets out to do, <laughs> isn't it? But it's it's weird in that it's, this film where the horror exists sort of around the fringes, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, we're spending two hours more or less just following a police procedural. Yeah. But they somehow managed to turn these crime scenes and create this feeling of, like, the horror closing in from the outside or, or from the inside out even, you know, and it's you kind of get this overwhelming sense of, I, I want to say sort of paranoia that this really disgusting horror is like, it's going to get worse. There is, we're rushing towards some sort of nexus point where it's all going to go tits up. I mean, obviously we do come the end of it, but yeah, like there's, and and like I don't know what you guys think, but for me the sort of the, the crime scenes are are just the right amount of disgusting to to, to be affecting. You know the the they look realistic enough, where but at the same time they don't show all that much of it. They sort of you know, show you these, it's mostly like photographs, isn't it? And uh, sort of framed outside while we're focusing on our main characters that you can sort of blow it up a bit more in your mind and make it even worse. Right, yeah, yeah. I think um, basically agreeing with you here, but like the the crime scenes are not sensationalised in, in, in any way, which is... It, they're grim and awful, and there are a couple of them where you you almost feel like you could imagine what the smell would be like, you know, like especially uh, the 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 gluttony one, you know, when they walk into the and you just sort of you've got this vague idea of how wretched it must smell in there, um, and then later on sloth as well. So they're just it's just a real it's a real filthy movie uh, in terms of, in terms of all that. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't try to 
make itself anything like Hollywood. At least I don't think so. Um, but in terms of whether it's a horror or not, I think there's enough tension between murders that it does, you know, and to be honest, when we get there, it's got probably one of the best jump scares in, in movies. So given all that, it's got to be on it. Yeah, and I don't know about you guys, but it, this film left me with the same feelings I get while watching a good out-and-out horror film, even without doing any of the stuff that a normal horror film does. Like, you, you know, we're, we're not shown the horror. We're shown the aftermath of the horror, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Somehow that still gives me the same feeling of dread and unease and anxiety that, that you know, a plethora of, of other great horror films have done following a more standard creation. Yeah. It's so nihil it's so nihilistic as well. Like like you said about like the feeling you know, like there's there's a lot of horror movies that I think are quite fun, like Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street that I mentioned. Like I find them quite fun movies, but there's something about Seven that's so nihilistic and so like without hope that it does leave you after it feeling a bit like mm. You need yeah. to put on like a comedy or so. You know, you know, you need to you need to like cleanse yourself by putting on something funny or, or whatever because it does stay with you and it doesn't have a particularly happy ending either. And I like that. I like horror movies that have quite bleak endings, and this certainly does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is probably one of the one of the bleakest endings. Um, it. it, it... Certainly for the time, and at least, it's become a bit of a trope, I've found, certainly from maybe the 2000s onward or a little bit after that, where everything was such a real downbeat ending um, to the point where I was getting sick of it, um, you know. But this is the sort of real, you know, early doors of just leaving you on, well, that was that was awful. It leaves you with a bad taste. Yeah. Um which, I mean, the whole movie leaves you with a bad taste, I'd say. Um, yeah, I would say with, with this one, uh, because oh, we've, we've spoken about downbeat endings in the past, haven't we? And, and hmm. how, you know, they, they, they can be good, they can be bad. And the thing that I think that this one does, uh, I don't want to say differently because, you know, a lot of films have done it since, but it, it gives you that downer ending but it's also gives you it's also laid out in a fact that it's so inevitable it's the it's the own well one of two ways that the film can go isn't there really come the end of it and they're both just as depressing as each other yeah you know and it it's i think like what you're saying that how you know dirty and and the bad taste that it leaves with you it's just because of that inevitability. Mm. And you, you're just there going, well, yeah, there was never there was never going to be an ending of this where you know the, the main characters go, Oof, you know, oh we got <laughs> oh it was rough for a minute, but we made it through, didn't we? You know, that that was never on the table. 
No. Yeah, no, no you're right. Yeah, the, the the expectation is not is not um not happy, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and and when it tells you that as well, you know, you see it when Morgan Freeman opens the box at, at the end that it's it's all laid out in front of him, isn't it? Where it's you know this is this is the game, this is what's been happening, and and we've lost just in that moment. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah Super. Then, then, I mean, oh, sorry. No, no, you go. No, I was just going to say, like, obviously, the ending now. Like, I mean, I've seen this film so many times; it doesn't have the same effect on me the end as it did the first time I saw it. But and obviously, as well, it's kind of been memed. Like you see a lot of memes where you know what's in the box and all of that stuff. And I don't know if that maybe takes away, but like the first, the very first time I saw it, and obviously I was too young, I think, at the time when I saw it. But I was so shocked by, because there is this growing sense of dread when um, Kevin Spacey's character, John Doe, like, you know something bad's going to happen. But I still, I think the first time I saw it, I didn't expect it to be as awful as that. And for it to, yeah, I just, I think the ending, as you say, maybe now it has been done more in other things. But at the time, it was a pretty shocking ending, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually, I understand what you're saying. And I was like, uh, when I was watching it this time around, sort of wondering whether it had much effect on me. But actually, the two actors sell it so well, uh, especially, you know, Brad Pitt's fight be- fight between, you know, his wrath ultimately and, you know, what his convictions are. And you could see all that in the acting. And, yeah. you know... Circling back around to some of the other stuff, the acting in the, in this is really great. You know, like we've talked about sometimes a sort of forced thing, but they do such a good job. I think they do such a good job of settling into the two characters that it's easy to take them as they are. Um, you know, they just... Um, and I think part of that's probably attention to detail from the director, which I'll get into some other stuff about that. But, you know, like, Somerset feels like a well-rounded count, a character, and so does Mills, and so do all the other people around them. It's all very well-rounded and very, you know, like it just it just sits really well. The acting is fantastic, um, subtle almost. Um, yeah, and I, I I love as well the the dynamic that that's built up between them uh, because at the start of the film. So, you know, they're, they're a bit loggerheads, aren't they? And you get uh, Morgan Freeman as this sort of serene, sort of calm, cultured, uh, you know, gentle detective almost. And then Brad Pitt is this like caged animal wanting to get out and do what he can and, uh, you know, make his mark sort of thing. And then eventually, you know, it's you, you see them, them rubbing off on each other, you know, so Brad Pitt gets those books, doesn't he? But he gets the Cliff Notes version and, <laughs> uh, you know, gets in a bit further down the line and you can see the thought processes there. And, and sort of his edges get smoothed off a bit and Somerset gets a bit more vibrant, a bit angry. And like the way that the, the two of them progress throughout the film really is, is wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. There's a real... Good. I, I love attention to detail, uh, well, at least I think, between the two of them. 
to just show character. Um, and it's it's almost blinking you miss it. But um, at one point, after Somerset gets invite, invited to the house, they sort of sat talking and he asked for a glass of wine. Yeah. And Brad Pitt comes over with basically a pint glass full of wine. <laughs> Um, well, it's not quite, but it's a tumbler, isn't it? It's certainly a lot of wine. And he hands it over to him and the other guy's fine. And then it just very subtly at the end of that scene, Morgan Freeman, oh, sorry, it's like, it's like, it's such a moment of, you know, you've got this moment where Brad Pitt didn't give a shit what glass he put it in. And then, you know, that um, Somerset was expecting a proper glass of wine. And it really, I, I love those tiny little attention to detail that I thought was just um, just slipped in there that was fantastic. Um, I do yeah, have a- but the 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 fact that the whole apartment shakes with the subway and then you know, yeah. they tell the story about <laughs> yeah, it as yeah. well. It, yeah. it, it's furnished just to give these characters outside lives, isn't it? That's it's just yeah. good, good screenwriting. It's as simple as that. Yeah, it There's is. Some- yeah comedy in it as well like I'd kind of forgotten but like the stuff with the apartment shaking and the stuff like with the cliff notes and then there's the guy I don't know the actor's name but you know he was the drill sergeant in Full Metal Jacket it was like the police chief oh yeah and at one point he's sitting at the desk and the phone rings and he answers it and he says something like this isn't even my desk and hangs up like there's (laughs) Although it's like such a bleak film, there's actually little bits of comedy like scattered throughout it that does make it feel more realistic, but also it's like a wee bit of light relief amongst all the awful stuff as well. Yeah, you're right. You're right. When 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 they cut to Brad Pitt's, uh, sorry, yeah, well, let's just just say Brad Pitt Mills's plan, should I say, to get the sort of crack crack person to sort of tell this witness statement, and he's poking <laughs> poking her in the back, you know, sort of going, oh yeah, you saw this and this, didn't you? And everybody in that situation knows what's going on, but it's so you know, like it was. There's there's something you know quite light to it. Um, yeah, it it's good. Uh, there was one other bit that I um, I shouldn't bring up because I forgot what it is. Uh, that's good. So another uh, a bit of attention to detail that I've I I can't tell you that I noticed this, but I have read that it's true. Is that when they break into John Doe's apartment, apparently every single one of those books was filled. Um, it wasn't just what you saw on camera. Apparently, everything was was filmed. But that whole apartment's an attention to detail. It's such an amazing. I, I suppose it's a set, really. Um, but you know, I think that's one of those ones where if you paused it, you could you could see all kinds of different things that you that you never saw last time and stuff. But yeah, apparently, that actually raises a question for me. Hmm. Uh, for that one, which which was I did occurred to me while watching it, but uh, I wasn't able to get an answer. In that he has trophies, doesn't he, for the the deaths that we'd seen so far? Yeah, right. yeah. Wouldn't I mean? I assumed he just stopped at the point in the film where he'd got to. But is it possible that that the game's given away there? Oh, maybe. Um, I never, never really thought about it. Yeah. It also makes you wonder why, given that the ending is him being killed. <laughs> but yeah, who I am I? Who am I to uh, to do this? I was thinking as well, though. Like the killings are so well planned and elaborate 
I find it hard to believe that the guy that he killed, you know, the gluttony, the first one that we see in, in the movie, mm-hmm. is the first time that he's killed. Like, um, in my head, I think he must have done some, like, test runs where he's maybe, like, cocked some of the detail up. So he's had to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, he's not, he's not just starting with, uh, with sloth, is he? And just sort of, oh, I'll just potter around with this for a year and then then lurch yeah. into action for the rest of them later. Yeah, of course, because Sloth would have had to be in the first one, wouldn't it? Because that was like a yeah. year. And in that year, I'm kind of like, would you have not maybe tried to do a couple and maybe they haven't quite worked out or whatever? Like, I find it hard to believe that this, that this the ones that we see in the movie are the only time that he's ever killed. I think that there must have been something prior to that. Yeah, I don't know. I think I, I always get the feeling from John Doe or Kevin's as Kevin Spacey's character is that um, he he considers himself to be, you know, above all that that he isn't that he isn't without fault. He wasn't expecting them to show up to his apartment, you know, like he had all that stuff. He wasn't expecting them there. Um, you know, he's got all this stuff I think mapped out, and I don't I don't think he was ever in any doubt that he would be able to achieve what he achieved but um unless you've got anything else to say about that i think we should talk about sloth um because to be fair let's talk about sloth i'm ready it is probably the most memorable thing well maybe the second most memorable thing in the movie apart from what's in the box um because I know I didn't expect it, and I don't know anyone else would have expected it. So they obviously, you know, for those, well, we always do spoilers anyway. So, you know, they show up to this apartment, there's magic trees everywhere, which is weird anyway. And then they obviously come across a dead body. Um, but he's he's not dead. And that moment where he springs back to life is just, it really is, I think, one of the best jump scares in cinema. Um because it's so unexpected. Uh, yeah, I can't think of a single one better. Yeah. It's brilliant because, I mean, he looks like a corpse and it's horrific enough. Like you said, the magic trees and the fact that he's, like, strapped to this bed, he's got all these sores, I think his hand or something's cut off. and That's right, yeah. Oh, the moment that he moved, like I said, the first time I saw it and when I was really young, we all like shit ourselves at that bit because you just do not expect that the way it's filmed with the guy the the police officer I think leans in and says something like oh you got what you deserved and then he does that horrible like breathy gurgly thing when he kind of comes to life and it's just oh I think it's perfect it's such a good jump like you said I don't know if I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that's made me jump as much as that no, yeah, that is that is a great one. That really, it really is good. The 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 beauty of it is something that you just mentioned there, in that it, you know, how jump scares normally give you the bit where they scare the cat first and then yeah, you know, deliver it. It does that that really great thing when uh, Doctor Cox from Scrubs, you know, when he does that lean in and says, you know, you got what you deserve, and, and we all lean in with him and just go, is he? Is this something to do with? Is he the killer or something like that? You know, is it? Yeah. Because we don't, we have no idea at this point. Yeah. So it, just, it, it drags us in and then just gives us that real 
blow up moment that it's whatever. Yeah, gets me just thinking about it now. Yeah, yeah. Even uh, the bit after it, the bit where he's in the hospital and the they ask about like interviewing. Um, and the doctor talks about like oh he's he's suffered about as much pain as anybody and he, you know even if he could talk like he chewed his own tongue off like months ago or whatever and like even just thinking about the pain and suffering that this guy's gone through over the last year is so creepy it's just oh it's not worth even thinking about yeah yeah well the, I think the other kill then that I want to talk about is um, lust mm. which actually um, what what they managed to do with this is they don't show you any of it but the reaction of the actor or, or the, the person who has had this forced happen to him when they get to the place and when they have him in the interview room is I think it's really amazing acting. It's uh, and and that's the horror of that one. That harrowing, like you literally. Oh, for me, I'm I'm going. This guy will never ever be right in his entire life. He'll never he'll never get over this. He'll never. He's never. You know, whatever therapy they give him, he's never going to go back to be able able to live a normal life. And the fact that they show it not through the killer or or even. You know the killing, just this, this man, this awful thing that's happened to him. Um, I think it's really, really, really well done. Um, you know, you know, the other thing that they do as well is show you the murder weapon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, you go right. Well, I can piece these two together, and you just yeah, exactly you just build the whole image in your head, don't you? Yeah, it's really, really well done, and it, it, it's. It's completely as horrific as what we're being shown it is as well, isn't it? You know, you you see it and you go, well, that's that's a normal reaction that man is having to what has just happened to him. Yeah, it's 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 all real scary stuff. Um, I think as well with it being lust as well, it's quite clever in that it's left two victims in 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 you know in two different ways. Yeah, right. Because, you know, generally speaking, lust isn't a singular act, is it? Oh, that's very true. That's that very that true. Also goes, yeah, quite well with the uh, the theme of sin. Hmm. Yeah, because if you think about it, like I was thinking when I was watching it, like a sex worker hasn't been lustful, like that's their job. But I suppose the person who is paying that sex worker for, you know, they, it's more like their son, but that person that has, like you said, that person's been punished as well because that guy's never going to get over it. But I thought the way that it was filmed, they were they were quite judgmental. Like, they contrasted because they had the guy and he was shaking and, you know, he gave a great performance. And then they were kind of, the other interview room, I'm assuming it was like the pimp, who was like really cool and collected. And and they were kind of contrasting the two. And I can't remember if who was interviewing who, but they were kind of contrasting it. But yeah, that whole bit is, and it, again, it's what, it, like, 
I think gluttony, sloth, and lust are the three that I kind of remember the most. Mm. Just for having like a visceral reaction. It, definitely with a lust one, it's one of those ones that makes you cross your legs. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, for sure, for sure. I'm, I'm going to talk about something that makes that the your John Doe uh, a bit more of an interesting villain because of that. You know, what we're saying with with lust just there, and also with with wrath at the end, is that you know we he, he sees himself, doesn't he, as this sort of avenging angel kind of uh, figure. But you know, lust and and wrath is you know and envy as well. You know, his sin it. it tips it from this character which has you know uh this this righteous base that he you know he seems to think that he has into something that is no this is just this is just evil you know dress it up however you like this is evil yeah because you know like we say with lust you know this the sex worker is is killed in this you know and like you said that she's not a, a necessarily a lustful person she's she's doing a job and it's probably a job that she hates because yeah. you know people don't tend to choose that line of work without some sort of coercion and you know for envy he decapitates Gwyneth Paltrow uh, who is completely innocent in all of this she you know she has got receipt you know no sin on her part whatsoever and at the end of it I, you know, we're led to assume that that the punishment for for wrath at the end is his life being in tatters, and you know that that's the punishment. But again, he leaves a victim. There is no you know grand uh, celestial punishment for him that there is for for the others. And I, I like how we are able to strip away any of the possibility of us saying you know yeah what he did was bad but he kind of had a point sort of thing and it's moved instead to very purely what he did was was just pure evil yeah 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 um uh, let's see i've got three three more points if that's all right (laughs) go on Uh, hit us with one then well, the, the first question that I've, it's actually a question um, is, oh, I don't know if it is a question. Um, anyway, what city are they in? It's never, it's never revealed what city that they're in. And apparently it was filmed in two or three different cities. So I think it was filmed in like New York, Chicago and some other places, but I thought the city remained unnamed because it was just supposed to be this kind of like hellscape. And they talk like when Trace, when um, Mills and Somerset and Tracy are having dinner, she talked like you get the impression she didn't want to move there. She quite liked where they lived before, which I got the impression was maybe more kind of like in the country. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to move to the city to pursue this career. And he wanted to be in like the nitty gritty, but it's this awful city. It's constantly raining. But I think it's intentional that they don't name it. It kind of reminded me a wee bit of like, I don't know, like Gotham City or something. Yeah, I was going to say the same, yeah. Yeah, just this kind of hellish place that's 
riddled with crime and everybody's miserable and I think it well from what I've read like I did do a wee bit of kind of like trying to do a wee bit of background reading I think that might have been intentional and I think it works as well actually not knowing I think it's yeah I mean it's deliberate obviously isn't it but I think there's that thing that goes throughout the film about humanity and is it worth it or are we, you know, are we too corrupted and giving into these these deadly sins and when you when you don't name the city it sort of spreads that out doesn't it and makes you go it's more of a thesis on humanity when right, you can't yeah. turn around and go oh well you know the new yorkers or oh that's just what people are like in detroit but it's nice here you know yeah it allows you to go okay what what are we saying about people as a whole here and you know for all of the 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 misery and your know, griminess of the film it does end on that note of people are worth trying to fight for which is strangely optimistic throughout all of this but quite nice at the same time that it's not you know, there's a candle flickering in the darkness somewhere. I like that bit, but I read that that was apparently put in post-production because they did test screenings and the audience thought the end was so pessimistic that they added that. Is it an Ernest Hemingway quote or something, I think, that um, Morgan Freeman's character reads? But I quite like that as well because it does give you like a little bit, like yeah. you said, a hope after what's really quite a bleak. Well, I say it's really bleak, right enough, and I do rewatch this film fairly regularly, <laughs> so I don't know what that says about me. Yeah, but I, I think it, it also goes back to that conversation that to Mills and Somerset have in the bar, isn't it? Where you know they were talking about apathy and how it's you know the easy choice, and that's what people are like, and and it's nice that Mills is so steadfast in his defence of people of you're wanting to uh want you know wanting to to protect and serve you know how his idea as a policeman comes about and you know it makes his downfall at the end all the more painful from it but it gives us that little it's that little glimmer of hope that it's it's rubbed off and you know hopefully it will make Somerset uh more of the man that we kind of know he is, but has been browbeaten into hiding. Yeah. yeah. Or suppressing. It, it It's interesting that you say that because um, I, I noticed this thing that I think this was me. This is my bit where I was trying to be clever. So bear with me. Um, so in the car, when they have this final car ride, you've got three personalities obviously you've got Mills, Somerset and John Doe um, now on the face of it Somerset and Doe have got a very very similar outlook on what people are like um, and obviously Mills as we as we know is um, uh, more sort of pro people and yet in the car ride the th- the th- the three of them, even though we know what their opinions are, have got this real weird 
triptage of emotions where despite what we know about Mills, he's the one acting like, you know, a prick. Um, and Somerset's the one who says that people are awful. And yet he's the one that's, you know, nice and stuff. And obviously, you know, John Doe's is what he is really. But I thought it was very weirdly done that, that in that car journey, you know, despite what we know about these people, their personalities don't match, um, or at least they, you know, repel against each other. I don't know. I don't really know exactly, but and I, I noticed in that car journey that, that that it sort of changes. It feels like the dynamic shifts. Um, yeah, I mean, it it sort of leans into what comes next as kind of this like battle for their souls, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, which means obviously leans us right into the sin thing in that he's trying to to win them over into the the hopelessness of it all and you know when when you look at it like that in that he's got mills who's trying to you know espouse the virtues of humanity and john Doe trying to uh you know highlight the sins it puts us in this place where Somerset's the main character now, isn't it? It's all it's all about him. And when it's at the end of the film and he and he does say that that little line about uh, humanity being worth fighting for, it kind of makes you think, you know what, John Doe didn't win after all, did he? Yeah. And it's this strange, like we said, you know, this strange little happy note to, to leave on. Uh, which you know, is probably the, the happiest the film ever gets, isn't it? <laughs> A little sorbet at the end, just to... And, and the other thing is, and I think that, that that comes through this, and you can very much see with Fincher that his daughter uh, was born in 1994. So it would have been when he was, was making this. So you can obviously see why children and and fatherhood is so strong in it and a strong motivator. And I think him, you know, part of this from him is him going, you know, it's okay. We can, we can bring a kid into this world. It's almost like he's trying to tell himself, isn't it? That, you know, that there is hope for us here. You know, we can bring a child into the world and we can, make the world a better place. Yeah, mm. definitely definitely. And I think I think that car scene that you mentioned is really interesting because I think Kevin Spacey and that whole car bit is outstanding. I think it's like probably the best he is in the whole movie. He's obviously not in the movie actually that long, but I think he does cock up a little bit because he talks about it being this kind of righteous thing and he talks about you know, these people deserving to die. And he says something like, you know, only in a world this shitty would you call these people innocent. But then he goes on about how people are going to talk about what he's done for years. And then it becomes a bit more like narcissistic and more just like he's doing it for some kind of like notoriety rather than some kind of like righteous cause. Like, I think it's almost like he starts showing his true colours because up until that point, you think 
he does believe all of this stuff. Like, as wrong as it is, he believes that these people deserve to die. But the minute he starts talking about people are going to talk about this and study it and remember it for years, I started thinking, well, is that your real motivation, actually? Is it nothing to do with how sinful, apparently, these people are? Is it more just that you want the notoriety and the fame and stuff? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it goes in what we said earlier, didn't we, about the, the victims and the ones that they, they you know, that, that weren't sinners being... Yeah. I, I use that in inverted commas as well because I think we've moved past the idea of the seven deadly sins and realise that those problems are myriad and complex and you can't just put them down to evil. But anyway, <laughs> but it puts us down as, you know, the, the idea that those those victims as well doesn't it you know the the mask slips this isn't this isn't a righteous thing this is this is an evil character yeah mm, absolutely so I, I think we're probably more or less done but oh. after what we've said I do just want to ask you both a question because when I first watched the film uh, this is something that my, my dad said do you think that Somerset should have killed John Doe at the end rather than uh, Mills? Mm, no, because I don't think it would have quite worked the same. I don't think it would have worked with his character either. Like I kind of get, I think, what you mean, because I suppose that if he did that, that would have saved... Mills, who's like the younger guy, you know, Somerset's retiring anyway, and presumably he could, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen next, but presumably he could end up going to jail and stuff. But I don't think it would be in keeping with Somerset's character to do that, because I think funds it. I mean, there's a conversation earlier in the movie where they talk about whether you've ever killed anybody, you know, in the line of duty kind of thing, and... um. Brad Pitt, I'm sure, says he or Mills says he has, and Somerset, I'm sure, says he hasn't. And I just, I'm not sure it would be in keeping with his character if that happened. No, well, no. I think that was that was the basis for for my dad's argument, and that they they'd set it up for that to be the ending, and and they did storyboard the ending uh, for that that to be the thing, and he was going to shoot him, and basically just saying I'm retiring, and that was going to be it, roll credits, but. That feels a bit too hack 90s action for me. Yeah. Uh, but like we said, you know, when it gets to that point where you feel like it's a battle for Somerset's soul, I think you would lose so much of the impact if if he was to basically turn wrathful at this point. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, I've got, I've got one last thing because I've gone the extra mile for the fans this week. Um, what a hero! I know I am, because obviously with this being so successful, they wanted to do a sequel to it called Eight, um, in which I think they Mills got off and somehow got psychic powers. Don't ask me how it works. Um, but eventually, they obviously decided not to make not to make that. But that script still lived on, and ended up becoming a movie called Solace with Anthony Hopkins. Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Colin Farrell, which I watched. Wow. <laughs> is that the one where Anthony Hopkins is a psychic in it? it? It is, yeah. So originally that script for that, obviously being changed over, over the years, was the script for Eight, 
Um, so yeah, so um, I watched that. You can see, and you can see the bones of a of a of a seven movie in there. Um, but uh, I'm not going to talk about it really. But uh, yeah, if you if you fancy watching the sort of vague sequel to seven, there you go. Solace. Is it good? Yeah, it was all right. It was all right actually. Um, there's a few tropes in it that um that I didn't really like. Um, there's a little bit of because it's psychic, you know, like the stuff that you see happen that doesn't actually happen, which is a bit annoying. But um, apart from that, you know, it's pretty good. I mean, Andy Hopkins is generally good in anything, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Colin Farrell as well. Colin Farrell is usually pretty good too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, it's not their best performances, but it was enjoyable and it's about an hour and 40, so it clicks along nicely. Yeah, so yeah. There you go, everyone. That's how much I love you. Um, well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you've you've sold me on the on the film. I think no. the, the watch list is too long to be adding. Uh, <laughs> it's all right, films to it. It's all right. Well, you... let, let's get into uh, into reviewing then. So, uh, our good friends at Rotten Tomatoes. I'm actually shocked at how low this is. Uh, the critics' tomatometer is only at 83%, uh, but it does have an audience score of 95. Uh, but on Letterboxd, we have a 4.3 rating, mm. and it is 103 on their list of the top 250 narrative feature films. Wow. So... This is is not just an all time great horror film. It's an it's an all time great film. Full stop. According Absolutely. to uh, Letterboxd. Yep. And well, I'm I'm just I'm just going to agree with him. I'm not going to say anything clever nor wrap ups. It's a well, I will I will give the review system uh, an airing just in case we have uh, new listeners. Uh, so we have a shit for bad films. And ooh, that's spooky for you know your, your middle of the road, your enjoyables, your not so enjoyable ones, and then you know the creative psychopath for you know the very good films, and and this is a this is a creative psychopath. It needs it needs no more than that. I agree. The most creative of psychopaths. I I, I don't need to say anymore. A hundred percent agree. The only other thing I was going to mention is. I don't know if either of you ever watched the Adam and Joe show. Yeah. They did a parody. You know how they used to do, um, like, they used to use toys to do, like, not remakes, but, like, to kind of send up movies. And they yeah, did yeah. one for seven called Toys. And it's available on YouTube. It's not a great, um, like, you know, the video and stuff's not great. But it's really, really funny. So... I would recommend it if anybody hasn't seen it. If you just go onto YouTube and look for like um, Adam and Joe Seven, and oh no, it's not called Toys. It's called Seven. It's Seven Dwarfs. He's killing all the dwarfs. That's it. Ah, yeah, that's a good. That's a good premise. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, it's really good. Just the Facebooks well, then. Oh, uh, I wasn't. I wasn't that prepared. I'd all the other stuff. That's all right. I've got. Um, um, so the Facebooks for these, uh, Alistair said 
the movie that teenage me thought was the peak of cinema. It made me fall in love with the film, with film in general, and opened a can of worms that led to me to where I am today. I even performed the monologue that John Doe speaks from the back of the police car at college. High quality horror thriller for this is often imitated but never replicated. Good stuff. Uh, Faye, that's my sister. She said, I like this movie. That's good. That's a good review, that. Um, I mean, she's, she, yeah, I mean, she's not wrong. No, she's not wrong. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's a damn good review. Um, Bev said, stunning movie. Might have to dust my DVD and watch it this weekend. And I hope that you do, Bev. Uh, and Sam said, look out for Dr. Cox of Scrubs. And, and I did. I, saw I did. Him. We mentioned him. <laughs> I didn't see him when you saw him, though. I didn't realise it was them. I saw him in the helicopter. Um, yeah, but I knew it was both of them was him. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, well, Patreon then, while we're here. Um, that's available. We're... We're getting around to making it more more stuff on there, but it is available. Um, Creative Psychopaths, uh, if you join it, we're definitely going to start doing more stuff. It's and just, it's cheap. Life's been getting in the way of us at the moment. So, uh, you know, we've been doing this and not that, but we will. We will. We will. We promise. Uh, well, yeah, we promise. <laughs> right. And-, and in the meantime, it is cheap. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So let's get to our last slice of bread then. So we uh, we have some more questions for for Vanessa here. Yeah. So we we finished our our last our last slice on your favorite horror film, sort of. <laughs> but what's your what's the worst horror film you've ever seen? It's one that I saw quite recently and discussed on an episode of. Um, the movie Joe podcast, uh, The Worker Man from 2006. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we we, we did an episode on that in our... Uh... Oh, it was in April, wasn't it? We were April Fools. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we... I mean, I love the original Worker Man. It's probably in my top 20 um, horror movies of all time. And I don't know if that... Maybe if I didn't love the original so much, maybe I wouldn't dislike the remake so much, but... I thought it was absolutely awful. There probably are others actually, like, but the the one that came to mind was definitely um, two thousand. And I love Nicolas Cage. Like, I like, I like, I even like him in that, even though I don't like the film. But I just find, I just found it awful. All the good things about the original were just like taken away and replaced with shit. Hated it. <laughs> absolutely couldn't stand it. Will not be rewatching ever again. Yeah, yeah. I was lucky to watch it. Well, not lucky, but I I purposely watched it without watching the original first. Right. Um, I hadn't seen it, but it was still it still it was still awful. And I think I think we ended up giving it who it's spookies just purely based on the fact that it's quite stupid. Um, and I enjoyed just enough of the stupid moments for it to not be shit shit. But um, right, it is not a good horror movie. <laughs> yeah, I think by the time that the uh, the ending comes around, it's funny rather than scary, isn't it? Oh so yeah, for sure, it's hilarious. That gives you the enjoyable aspect of it. You know, you have a good chuckle. Yeah, and I think that's the only reason I liked it because 
Um, I could tell they were trying to do something, but they didn't. <laughs> they didn't achieve what they were trying to achieve. Well, while we are on the subject of the Wicker Man, because this was the this was the answer from me when when I had this question. Uh, what is the best kill in a horror film? Ooh. It's probably not the best, but the one that kind of jumped to mind was when the girl gets hit by the bus in Final Destination. Oh, yeah, it comes out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> it's so good. And do you know what? I think it's been done like since then and a lot because I'm sure I've seen that in TV shows and stuff since but at the mm. time I'd never seen it and as you say it just absolutely comes out of nowhere and I just think it's perfect uh, it's just uh, I've got a lot of love for the Final Destination movies I must admit I find them really enjoyable kind of comfort movies and I think that kill is just so unexpected and really funny as well so yeah yeah that first movie is full of lots of great kills um, I was going to say, I can only remember the one uh, where Sean William Scott dies in it. I remember his kill. I need to watch that again. Yeah, I watched it again recently. And, um, you know, that whole thing with with the way that they slowly set up different things and, you know, there's different um, red herrings and stuff like that. I, I really like that, but... Um, that that bus one in Final Destination is so good because it just like I said comes out of fucking nowhere. She's just in the street and then bang. Yeah. You know. Did they, 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 they did that in Mean Girls as well, didn't they? Well, I think it's been done a few times since because I saw um did you watch Ozark? No. I'm sure there's a bit in Ozark where somebody unexpectedly gets hit and, I, and it made me think of Final Destination. And I think Final Destination might have been one of the first movies that did it, but I think it has been done a few times since. But Yeah, certainly done to death, yeah. But yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah, I'm, I'm a supporter of that too. <laughs> so, uh, right then, so what is a scary moment from a non-horror movie that you can remember? I think the thing that used to really scare me when I was a kid was in the movie Hook, you know, the Steven Spielberg um, movie about Captain Hook and Peter Pan, which mm. I it gets panned quite a lot, and I don't think Steven Spielberg particularly likes it, but I personally really do enjoy that movie. But see the bit quite near the start where they put one of the pirates in the boo box and they drop scorpions and tarantulas and stuff into the boo box? Yeah. That, and I don't know if it's just because I'm really scared of like creepy crawlies and stuff. Like, I hate stuff like that. That absolutely terrified me. Um, and even thinking about it now, the idea of being locked in a small box and somebody just like dropping insects. I mean, I suppose now they do that and like I'm a celebrity and stuff. But at the time, that, and even I, yeah, even now actually thinking about it just makes my skin crawl. So, yeah, Hook's not a horror movie. So I think that counts. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like I, I really like Hook. I'm with you. I, it's one of my one of my favorites. Uh, it's one of my favorite Robin Williams ones. Um, he's got some scary bits though. Um, yeah, yeah. I think he he's come up more than any other filmmaker in this question, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. Spielberg. It, yeah, we get a lot of Indiana at, Jones for this one too. He's good at scaring folk. Very yeah, good I'd at love being it. Scary. I'd love it if he did like a proper horror movie because he I mean I suppose well I suppose he has because like Jaws and Jurassic Park are horror movies but like if he did like a 
complete out and out horror movie, I think he'd be brilliant at it. Yeah. I mean, not taking anything away from Toby Hooper, but they, they say that he had quite a quite a big hand in Poltergeist. And you can see that actually in the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, Another great movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's coming up soon. And we're doing that soon. Oh, are you? Oh, great. Yeah. Um although I don't know if I told Matthew about it. Uh, uh, oh, you have now. <laughs> I think I messaged you maybe at the time. Um, I've got the list uh, of our upcoming episodes. Yeah, but I think I maybe didn't do it. I think I maybe didn't give you the list. Um, anyway, <laughs> cut that line. Admin, uh, admin over. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll get on to our, our final question. Uh, if you could make any non-horror movie a horror movie, what would you choose? This is possibly a wee bit controversial, but I would choose Mary Poppins because Ooh. I hate Mary Poppins. I cannot stand it as a film. I am not a fan of Julie Andrews at all. I don't like that other, what's that other one? The um, Sound of Music. And I think if you made Mary Poppins a horror movie, she would hopefully get killed off at the start and then she wouldn't be in the rest of the movie and that would make it much better. So you could have like a serial killer maybe going around London killing, like, annoying nannies, and that would make it a much better job for me. I thought you were going to say annoying children. <laughs> no, the child. well, the children are quite annoying as well. And so is, what's his name, Dick Van Dyke. I just, I don't like that movie at all. And I know I'm in the minority. I know a lot of people my age have a lot of love for that film, but I really can't stand it. And I think if you were to have a serial killer killing, you know, kind of slasher pick, picking off annoying nannies, that would be a much better movie. And as I said, hopefully she would be killed kind of Drew Barrymore style in the first like 10 or 15 minutes and she wouldn't oh. be in the rest of the film. Well, I don't know. She's She's got magic. I reckon she could be the, the one doing it. Well, that would make her a more interesting character as well. <laughs> so that would work too. <laughs> no, I, I remember as a kid uh, when my, my, my dad took me to the cinema quite a lot. And and he, he never once tried to you know to influence me and to say this is good, this is bad or anything like that. Like to the point where uh my my worst cinema going experience ever uh, was I was seven years old and we uh it was just when the Star Wars re-releases came out. So we saw a new hope, everyone loved it, it was incredible. And then a couple of weeks later, Empire Strikes Back was out. So we went to go to the cinema to go see it, and it was sold out. And the uh, the only other option that had seats available that we could see at the time was Lady and the Tramp, which is why Lady and the Tramp is my least favourite film of all time, purely down to that day. But even <laughs> then, you know, it was, you know, it was always treated open mind, you know, enjoy what you enjoy, whatever, except Mary Poppins. Like, I have never known a world where Mary Poppins was not the enemy. <laughs> like just because of that, it was ingrained in me at such a young age. Oh really? But yeah, I'm completely with you on that. I think I'm a bit anti-Poppins as well, actually. Because um although I think it's actually all right, it's too long for a kid's movie. It's far too long. It's it's about two and a half hours. Yeah, it's far too long for a kid's movie. I quite liked the Emily it was Emily Blunt that did it. I quite liked that one. Um, I liked um, Saving Mr. Banks, the one with Emma Thompson. Oh, yeah, that was good, yeah. 
that was that was a lot better than Mary Poppins was, but I really I like you said it's far too long. It's quite depressing, like all the stuff with the dad who's obviously really depressed, and then you've got that weird bit in the middle where it's like this they took some acid and never told anybody and they jump into like a cartoon. Like the whole I just I cannot I do not like the entire movie. <laughs> no, I'm I'm with you. I, I, I'm, it must have it must I mean the three of us don't like it, so there must be more hate for it than we thought. Um yeah. embrace the what is it? Pop inside. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, it's, I've gone mad. It's getting late. Um, well, on that note, shall we get it all wrapped up then? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, I think Vanessa, while you're here, you really should plug the podcast that you're on. Um, uh, if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I know that you had Pete on recently. Um, and the podcast is um, kind of. Pete's podcast, Movie Jewel podcast, and there's four of us. Um, is that right? Or is there three of us? No, there's four of us, including me, who kind of regularly co-host. And the whole premise is that we pick a topic, worst horror um, remake was one recently. Um, one I was on was like your favourite Paul Verhoeven film. And we both pick a movie and then we talk about both movies uh, and that's basically that's basically it. It's available in all the normal places you get your podcasts. So if you like movies, then uh, please have a listen. Lovely. Um, yeah, and and we fully support it. It's a very good podcast, and you should definitely listen to it. Thank you. Listen to this one first, though, of course. <laughs> but I have quite, good authority that at some point down the line, I, I'm going to be on an episode too. It's not recorded oh, yet, so you might go all tits up, but. Yeah, listen to all of them, so eventually you might hear me again. Yes, yeah. Well, we'll let you know when Matthew's on all these podcasts, because um, oh, that'll be fun. It'll be nice to hear him talk to someone professional for a change. <laughs> um, right, well, let's get out of here then. You've got your sandwich now. It's all wrapped up. Now you can't have a drink. Right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Thanks, bye.